Are you ready for the word this morning? All right, if you got a Bible, go to Romans 15, Romans 15. And I want to title this message, House of Hope, House of Hope. And Paul had a lot to say about hope. Paul the Apostle, I was named after the Apostle Paul. My mom and dad used to tell me when I was little, we named you after the Apostle Paul. And I said, all right, I like the Apostle Paul. And they said, not Apostle, Apostle. And I said, <laughs> I said, I don't know what Apostle means, but I'm all in, whatever you want me to do. And, uh, but Apostle, as I grew up, I've realized it's, it's this, uh, really the, the calling of an Apostle is to continue expanding the church into multiple locations, into multiple areas of impact. My dad was kind of like an apostle. Um, he didn't just, he wasn't just a local church pastor. He was pastoring people all over the world and, and helping start churches and ministries. And I believe the calling on this church is an apostolic calling, that victory is not just supposed to impact Tulsa. We're supposed to impact the whole world. And I'm telling you, listen, I like being around people of vision because I'm like, God is, God is not a small thinking God and God is not a backwards thinking God. God is a God who continues to expand the kingdom. We serve a God who desires that everyone would be saved, which means that he wants to depopulate hell and he wants to populate heaven with more people, more of your family members, your prodigal son, your daughter. In order to do that, we gotta have a vision that's big, right? So Paul says this in Romans 15 verse four, everything that was written in the Bible was there to teach us. Everything that's in the scriptures is to show you and I that through the endurance of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Gideon, Moses, Esther, through their patient uh, uh, trust and faith, uh, when we look at the story of, of Hannah, Zechariah, Samuel, when we look at the story of Mary and Joseph and, and Peter, all the disciples, Paul says all of those stories, all of these scriptures have been given to us to teach us and to give us encouragement and to provide hope in our lives. I've heard people say, you shouldn't preach about yourself from the scripture. You shouldn't find yourself in the stories. That's exactly what Paul said we're supposed to do. You're supposed to find yourself in the story. Not that you are David, sometimes you're Saul, but you need to read the story and go, what can I learn from this? And how can I learn through their patient endurance how I'm supposed to live in 2021? How can I find hope looking at what Joseph walked through, through the betrayal of his brothers, right? We just did a series on Joseph. That Paul said, we're supposed to read this Bible and find ourselves in it and learn from it so that we might have hope. In other words, the scriptures are supposed to produce hope in your life. Then he says this in verse 13. He says, may the God of depression... May the God of discouragement, may the God of realism, may the God of pessimism. No, he says, may the God of hope. I'm so glad we serve a hope-filled God. May the God of hope fill you with all joy. This Christmas, I want to have joy. I want to, not just for Christmas, I want to have joy every day in my house. How many of y'all need some more joy in your house? Yeah, and then he says, peace, joy and peace are the bonuses that come from having hope. Hope produces joy and peace. Hope is like the roots that begin to grow and joy is the fruit. Peace is the fruit. When you put your hope in the Lord, you're like a tree that's planted by, by rivers of living water. You begin to produce fruit of joy, peace, patience, kindness, endurance, self-control. Why? Because your hope is not in the government. Your hope is not in the vaccine. Your hope is not in President Biden. Your hope is not in Vice President Kamala Harris. Your hope is not in President Trump. Your hope is not in someone else or a pastor or a church. Your hope is in the Lord. And when your hope is in the Lord, you will produce fruit even in your old age and you will not wither. Come on. He says joy and peace will overflow as you trust in God so that you may overflow. Everybody say overflow. overflow. Paul says, I want you to overflow with hope. I like going to Quick Trip. Any Quick Trip fans in the house? What about Come and Go? Any Come and Go fans? <laughs> big gulps. All right. So I like to go. <laughs> I'll get a big gulp or I'll get one of the QT cups and I'll go to the machine and get my ice and then I, you know, Hand, stand it in front of like the Mountain Dew. I wasn't going to tell you what I drink, but some <laughs> Mountain Dew. <laughs> and, uh, and then it starts overflowing. And I got to get the napkin to wipe it off. And, and as, as it's overflowing, I'm like, ah, oh, this is exciting, right? Put the lid on. I just imagine God says, I want you to come 
into my presence and I want you to get an overflow refill of hope. Some of us in this room, we've lost hope and we don't even realize it. When I was a kid, my parents invited this uh, family over to our house and the, we, we knew the parents, we didn't know the kids as well, they were our same age, but they walked into me and John's room and they were pastors and I'll never forget this, John and I laugh about this sometimes, but they walked into me and John's room and John and I, we were kind of like forgotten at times in our house. Like my mom would just kind of like forget about our room sometimes. <laughs> and we forgot about our room sometimes. So things were just kind of like messy. And, um, and we had not changed our light bulbs in a while. And so they come into our room and they go, man, your, your room is really dim. And John and I were offended at that. We were like, don't say that. And they're like, no, like it's true. Your, 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 your lights are really dim. And we were like, your lights are dim. And they were like, you can't say that. You haven't been to our house. I was like, I don't care. You just said it about my house. And they were like, it's true, though. You, you need to change your light bulbs. I was like, you need to change your light bulbs. <laughs> you know, it was ridiculous. We were getting offended by this. And, uh, and John and I, later on, we told our mom, we were like, Mom, we should probably change our light bulbs. And she was like, oh, yeah, your room's really dim. We were like, stop it. We, we've already heard that. We just, let's just get some fresh light in the room. But it got me thinking, hope is a light. This is the first week of Advent. If you look on the church calendar, there's four weeks leading up to Christmas. And those four weeks leading up to Christmas, there's four candles. And the first candle is the candle of hope. Because in Jesus, we have hope. And that hope is the light of the world. It is like a, a house that's lit up, right? There's, there's no dimness. This, this hope, the more hope you have, the more light you have. Where there's hope, there's light. There's this there's invitation to come into the house. And, and I was thinking about how when we had lost our, our brightness in our room, we needed, to, we needed to change our light bulbs. In the same way, some of us in this room, we've kind of grown dim in our hope. We've lost that sense of expectation. The definition of hope means that you believe that what you desire will come to pass. You trust that what's, what that deep down desire will. Biblical hope is confident expectation. Worldly hope, earthly hope is, is like a wishing well. Throwing a penny in a wishing well and like, well, I wish this happens. It might happen. I don't know if it's going to happen. Maybe. I hope so. That's worldly hope. But biblical hope says, I know my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. Did you know the Bible has 7,000 prophecies, 7,000 promises for your life? If a day is like a thousand years, then that's a thousand promises a day for the whole week. That every single day of the week, God says, I've got a promise for you. I've got a thousand promises for you. I've got a thousand promises for your Monday, for your Tuesday, for your Wednesday, for your Thursday, for your Friday. You need a refill? Come back up here with your big gulps. Let me overflow you with some hope. It is, it is my desire that when people come to victory, they would fill a house full of hope. They would walk into a room and they go, man, there's something about this house. They're always talking about their best days are in front of them. That's true. We are. And, and some might say, how can you know that your best days are in front of you, Paul? How, how do you know that? And, and how can you say that? when Don't you watch the news? Yes, I watch the news. And some of us are so obsessed with what we see in the earthly realm that we're missing out on the heavenly reality. That in the, We're not supposed to live from earth to heaven. We're supposed to live from heaven to earth. As believers, we grab heaven's realities and we bring them into earthly circumstances. So do I walk into a room and see depression and discouragement and division on the news and people are arguing over this and angry about that and people are freaking out about the future and not sure what's going to happen and the oil prices and it's this person's fault and it's that. I see it all. But I choose to look up to heaven and say, my best days are in front of me. God is not finished with me yet. I have victory in my life because Jesus lives inside me. The reason I have confidence to say that is not because of my behavior and not because someone's in office in the White House, but because God is on the throne and he's the God of all hope. And he wants to fill you with hope that overflows, not just for you, but for other people. In a world that's full of discouragement and despair, they need a house full of hope. They're looking for a house where the lights are bright, full of hope. I was driving down the street a couple weeks ago, and I saw this house that was all lit up with Christmas lights. And I'm like, these people started really early. Like, these are the people that started decorating the tree in August. 
They were like, some of y'all started, y'all started back in July. You've been, you've been like, ah, oh, I can't wait for Christmas. Where's all the people that just love Christmas at? Yeah. Y'all started early. All right. So I was driving and I noticed no other house was lit up like this house. It stood out. It was like the Griswold Christmas, right? Something real nice. And uh, <laughs> come on, you came back to church after last week. I got something real nice for you, Clark. And, uh, but but this house stood out. It was shining bright, and all the other houses were dark. And I felt like the Lord said, that's what victory is. It's a house that stands out because it's full of hope, and it shines bright. That's what the Dream Center is in North Tulsa. It's that house on the street that's just producing so much light, so much power. And not just for people to drive by and turn the radios to a certain station so they can hear the song with the lights, but so that people can come into the house and find hope for all humanity. That's what Victory Christian School is. That's what Camp Victory is. That's what your house is supposed to be on your street. God placed you strategically in your neighborhood to be a house full of hope for the neighbors, for your community, for your relatives. And you may not always like them, but God says when they come to your house, let them experience the presence of God that brings hope to their overwhelming circumstances. God wants you to be filled with hope. But the question is, how, how do I have hope when so many things are coming against me? And how do I recognize when I'm losing my light? How do I recognize when my light's growing dim, when my hope is starting to wane? In 1 Samuel chapter 4, there's this story where Israel was in a battle and they were fighting against the Philistines. And, um, and it was a crazy moment. And I wanna pull from it five enemies that come after your hope, five, five specific threats against your hope. But before I get into those, this, let me set the story. This um, battle was happening between Israel and the Philistines. This was before there was a king. Saul had not stepped into his position yet. David was not in his position yet. Um, Samuel was not even a grown man, he was a little boy. And there was a priest at the time named Eli. Eli had two sons, Phineas and Hophni. And these two sons, they were doing all kinds of corrupt things. Um, and the temple was, was not in a good place. And so God sent the word to Samuel, a little boy, who had been dropped off by his mom, Hannah, to live at the temple. Like, she just left him there. Like, that actually happened to me when I was a kid. My mom and dad left me at church. <laughs> and uh, like I was left at the maybe center. We used to rent out the maybe center from ORU and they just, they just left me. Like I thought they wanted the, the maybe center to raise me. Um, and I was, and they came back like two or three hours later. They were like, we forgot about you. I was like, I know. <laughs> and I was sitting there with the security guards. I, I wish I could say I was like Jesus teaching them scriptures and breaking it down. But we were just watching cartoons and eating Gardettos. Like we were just having, you know, the Gardettos. You know what I'm talking about? It's good stuff. Back to the story. Hannah dropped off Samuel, little boy, hears from God. God says, Samuel, something bad is about to happen to Israel. And when it happens, it's going to change the whole house. But it's not permanent. It's just a temporary situation. The future is still bright for Israel. I've got a word for you today. Just because you go through a temporary bad situation does not mean it's a permanent vision for your future. Sometimes situations happen that are either our fault or someone else's fault. And when we go through those bad circumstances, the enemy whispers this lie and he says, this is how it ends for you. But God told Samuel, it's going to prepare you and the house of Israel for something greater. So don't lose hope when you're going through difficult, bad situations, things that are out of your control. Just hold on to hope because things are going to get better. I'm speaking this to someone in the room today. Things are going to get better. This is not how it's always going to be in your home. It might be bad right now. It might not even be your fault, or maybe it is, but God's not finished with your house yet. And so Samuel gets this word. He tells Eli. Eli holds on to it, but Eli also lives with hope, and he, he prays that God is going to give Israel a victory against the Philistines. And so in verse 10 of chapter 4, 1 Samuel, it says the Philistines were fighting and the Israelites were defeated that day. And every man fled to his tent. When you're, when you're afraid and you're losing hope, you start running from your enemies. You start running from the giants you're supposed to run towards. And the slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. By the way, the battle for hope is won between the ears. You win the fight in here before you win it out there. 
That's why it's so important to think thoughts of hope, to focus on, meditate on, on a vision full of hope. Otherwise, if you lose in here, you start losing out there. But when this happened, the ark of God was captured. The ark of God was carried by four men, right? Two guys in the front, two guys in the back, treasure chest, and it represented the presence of God. They would carry it with them into battle. And this is so important. You gotta carry the presence of God with you into your fights, into your battles. The only problem was they weren't protecting it and it was captured and it was taken from Israel and Eli's two sons were killed in battle. So bad stuff starts happening. The first enemy that comes after your hope is the enemy of disappointment. Disappointment is this voice that says, you hoped for this and it didn't happen. And because it didn't happen, nothing good is going to happen in your future. Disappointment can cause you to shut the door in one room of your house and never go back to that room again. Did anyone ever see the movie Beauty and the Beast? Y'all remember when Belle is wandering through the forest and it's dark and the wolves are chasing her and she comes to that dark house where the beast lives? And when she comes in, it's so dark, right? But the longer she's in the house, the more light begins to come into the house and the candle comes to life. This is what happens when Jesus comes into your house. He starts bringing hope. He starts bringing light. He starts bringing the dead things back to life. He says that gift that you put on the shelf, pull it back out. That dream you had, that prayer you stopped praying for, and the beast starts changing into a good guy. Right? He starts throwing snowballs at her and stuff. Till as old as time, true as it could be, barely even friends. Da -da -da -da. Anyways, so Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the beast. Anyways, he starts changing. His house starts changing. God will change you before he changes your house. When he starts changing you, he starts changing the house. The house that was once dark and full of despair and discouragement and depression and disappointment starts being full of light. But then, what does he say? He says, do not go into that one room. There's one room you can never go into. Y'all remember that part in the movie? You cannot go into that room. That room represented the room of his disappointment. It was his personal failure. Every man and every woman, if we're really honest, has one room where we say, don't go in there. Don't go in there. That's the room where my kid was in when he was still alive. That's the room where we had a baby before the miscarriage. That's the room where my dad and I had our best memories until I lost him. The room of disappointment, the room where you go, the marriage didn't work out and I don't even wanna talk about it. The career I thought I was gonna have, the dream that I thought was gonna come to pass, it didn't happen. The prayer that I prayed and I asked God to do it and he didn't do it, don't go in that room. And we close the door and that room represents disappointment and disappointment is the enemy for your hope. He's coming for your hope. And, and disappointment is this constant voice that says, because that didn't happen, don't hope for anything else to happen. Because he didn't get healed, don't hope for anyone else to get healed. And so our light begins to get dim to the point where we just let it die and we never change the bulb. The second enemy of hope is disillusionment. Disillusionment follows disappointment. Disappointment is something didn't go the way you wanted, but disillusionment is the realization that how you hoped things were gonna be ends up not being what you hoped it would be like. You find out that something isn't as good as you thought it was gonna be. Like when you found out that Santa Claus is not, shh, sorry. Like the tooth fairy, when you found out that, uh, please forgive me, cut the tapes. But you start going, wait, you told me it was, Disillusionment happens for adults more than kids. Kids can get through something where you find out, but when you get older and you go, I thought it was gonna feel better than this. I thought once this happened, it was going to answer all of my problems. I thought once we had children and I thought once this happened, this took off, once this relationship, I thought it was gonna be, and disillusionment causes you to go, Man, I don't know if I really want to hope for much at all. Like, maybe it's better to live with no expectations. So that way I don't have 
a dashed hope. Hope is not just trusting what you desire will come to pass. Hope is living with confident expectation, great expectations. But disillusionment causes you to walk away. Proverbs 13 verse 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. So when I'm hoping for something to change and it doesn't change, when you're hoping for your husband to change, your wife to change, when you're hoping for, for your kids to change, you're hoping for your job and a boss and a situation and you're, you're like, I've been asking for this, praying for this, hoping for this, desiring this, and it's been 13 years. And I'm kind of done hoping for it. So hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. But the other part of that verse says, a longing fulfilled is like a tree of life. So in order for me to produce hope, I've got to face the reality that things are not the way that I would want them to be or that I hope they would be. But there are other things in my life where God has shown up. And if I can shift my focus from not what's wrong with my life, but what has God done in my life, then I don't have to live in disillusionment. I don't have to stay in this place of heart sickness and, and pain. The third enemy of hope is discouragement. And this is where Eli's at. He's disappointed because he finds out the battle has been won by the Philistines. And he finds this out from a soldier who comes and tells him. And this is in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 12. A Benjamite came and he tore his clothes and dust on his head. And he tells Eli, he says, we've lost the battle. Not to mention that, but we've also lost the Ark of the Covenant, he says in verse 14. He says, the Ark has been stolen. It's gone. And, and there's an uproar across the city. People are crying. Discouragement is when someone or even yourself continues to speak words against your hope. So it speaks, it speaks to your confidence and it tries to strip you of your confidence. Discouraged by what other people are saying. Discouraged by what you're hearing on the news. Discouraged even by your own voice. Discouragement doesn't have to come from the outside. It can come from the inside. So you could tell me as I'm leaving the church today, you could say, man, that was a great sermon. But if I say, man, you're not good at this. Paul, you're such a loser, right? Like, if I just, like, start discouraging myself, then it doesn't matter what you say. I've convinced myself that I don't even have a calling or a gift to do this. I'm stripping myself of my confidence. And so many men do this. So many women. We just beat ourselves up. I haven't spent enough time with the kids. I should have done more this Thanksgiving. I wish I could have done this. And we live in the shoulda, coulda, woulda world, right? And we just rehearse our regrets, and we're stripping ourselves of confidence. And that is not a way to live. And you might think, well, Paul, it's, it's good for us to stay humble and small in our own eyes. Yeah, but you need confidence for the giants you're supposed to slay. You need a confident, hope-filled spirit. And some people may mistake it as arrogance they did with David when he took down Goliath. But that's because they had lost their confidence. Someone who's hopeless will always judge someone who's hopeful. Someone who's insecure will constantly assume motives for those who are confident. And you'll go, I, their confidence is just cockiness. They're just prideful. No, they just have confidence that God is with them, that God is for them, that God is not finished with them, that God's going to turn things around. Yeah, well, they're living in a dream world because all of us in realistic world over here, we know the reality. You know the earthly reality, but I know the heavenly reality. I see what's going on in the earth. But I raise you, and I believe that heaven has something greater in spite of what's happening down here. So I don't have to be, like, it's not that we're not realistic, people of faith. People of faith can live and look at the reality and go, yes, you're right. There's a lot of bad things happening. There's diseases, and they've got new strands of COVID every week. And we're hearing about it every, and they're like, there's going to be something new. <laughs> And people told me when churches were shutting down, you just need to shut down, stay down, stay quiet, turn off the lights, don't do anything, don't be audacious, don't be, don't be bold out there. And I was like, no, we're going to open up and there's still a light on in the house and we still got hope and I'm going to preach from the rooftop. And they were like, who told you you could do that? I was like, heaven told me I could do that. Yeah, but which pastor were you following? No one down here. I was following the shepherd up there, the pastor of all churches, and he said we should open up. But in a world that's full of fear, that's constantly losing their confidence over every latest news thing that's coming out, you're going to stand out when you live with hope. And you're going to be judged when you live with hope. 
and you're going to be told that you're unrealistic and you're too optimistic and you're living in dream world. But I would rather die with audacious hope than live as a hopeless, insecure man my whole life. I would rather be accused of being out of this world with my hope and my faith and my boldness than be told, well, you survived, Paul. You stayed closed. You lived in fear. You settled down. You compromised your faith. Way to go, buddy. I don't need the applause of man. I want the applause of heaven. And I would rather live with great expectations than live with a constant disappointment. Eli hears the disappointment. He's disillusioned. He's discouraged. And fourthly, the fourth enemy of hope is doubt questioning whether God is even able to do it anymore, questioning if it's even possible, doubting in God's promises, doubting in yourself, doubting in others. I doubt God could do that. I doubt God could give you a baby. I doubt God could fix your marriage. I doubt God could do that. And doubt, well, doubt is so, uh, it's so demonic, but it's also so contagious. Once someone starts spreading doubt, we all start listening. We're like, yeah, really? Yeah. Yeah, I doubt that could happen because have you looked at this? Have you, have you looked at the facts and all this stuff? And, and doubt begins to stir up this. And this is what happened with Eli in 1 Samuel chapter 4. It says once he heard the news, his eyes failed and he could not see in verse 15. He lost his vision. When you lose your hope, you lose your vision because hope is a vision. Hope is like being pregnant. You sense there's something inside you that's supposed to come out. There's a promise, you're in your third trimester. You're closer than you realize. But when Eli heard the news of discouragement, he began to doubt, and he says, what happened to my kids? And they said, your kids died in battle. And the next verse is, it says he fell backwards from his chair. He was sitting in a chair, and when he fell backwards in verse 18, he broke his neck. Don't lose your head in a battle. Don't lose, some of us, our necks are in place, but we've lost our mind. We've lost our ability to think because we're so overwhelmed by disappointment. It's just come into the house. And he lost his life in that moment. He lost it between here. In the next verse, it says his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant. And she was near the time of her delivery. And I believe some of y'all are closer to your delivery of the promises of God than you realize. But when you're close to delivery, the enemy stirs up the attacks. The fifth enemy of hope is defeat. Defeat. It's this spirit of finality that this is the final scene. You've been defeated. Your family's been defeated. Things are not going to change. Never name your future based on your present circumstances. Never let your present battle become a permanent vision for your life. You might be in a battle right now in your house. You might be in a battle in a situation where, and it's painful, and you might feel like you're losing, but this is not how it ends. Somebody say, this is not how it ends. She was so overcome by the discouragement, she heard that her husband had died. Be careful who you allow into the labor and delivery room. She had voices in the room that were speaking discouragement in the middle of her giving birth to the future. When you're giving birth to a dream, you don't let just anybody speak into that. And as she was dying, they started telling her, things are not good. Things are not good. The ark has been stolen. But one person said, don't despair. I don't know who this person was, but they were trying to change the narrative. They were trying to change her perspective. They said, don't despair. You've given birth to a son. In other words, there's a seed inside of you and things are going to change. Things are going to get better. But she did not respond to that encouragement. She didn't pay any attention to it. Instead, her dying words, her final words, she named her son Ichabod. She said, the glory has departed from our house. The glory days are behind us. The best days are behind us. God is finished with our house. Ichabod, Ichabod. Ichabod is a spirit and when you open your mouth to Ichabod, Ichabod begins to take over every room in the house. I want the band to come up because this is where I want to take it now. The spirit of Ichabod, if you allow it, it will name your future. It'll, it'll take on the naming rights for the future vision that's inside you. Ichabod says, I don't see anything beyond this current situation that's very painful. I don't see how God could ever change it. And so you lose hope and Ichabod takes over. But I'm so thankful we don't have to live with an Ichabod spirit in our house. We can live with a different spirit. 
In Matthew 1, verse 23, Joseph had just found out his girlfriend was pregnant from another person. And he was like, hold up, this ain't my baby. And he was mad. He was disappointed in his girlfriend. He was disappointed in God. He was disappointed in himself. The enemy of hope, disappointment. He was disillusioned. He was like, I thought marriage was going to be better than this. Like, I thought, I thought we were supposed to be happily ever after. Like, it was going to be perfect, like the movies. And like our parents told us, marriage was supposed to be so special. And, and he wakes up to this realization, this is going to be hard. And then from disillusionment, he goes into discouragement. He goes, I, I don't even think I can stay. I, I. He starts hearing the rumors from other people, the rumor mill. And then he goes into doubt. I doubt God could ever do something in our family. And then he goes into defeat. He goes, I'm done. I'm divorcing her. And he makes it up in his mind. But the angel interrupts Joseph in the middle of his disappointment, in the middle of his defeat. This angel shows up in a dream and says, you will be the father of this child. And you will call him Emmanuel, God with us. God is making his home in Bethlehem. And you will raise this young boy. You may not be the biological dad, but you're going to be the father that teaches him how to use wood and nails. And one day, those wood and nails are going to save the whole universe. Don't you walk out on something just because you're disappointed right now. Don't you walk out just because you're disillusioned right now. Don't you leave just because you're doubting whether God could do something great through something that doesn't make sense to your mind right now. And he interrupts his disappointment with hope a spirit of Emmanuel. Choose Emmanuel over Ichabod. Emmanuel says, God is with me. God's in my house. God is with me through the good, the bad, and the ugly. He is my candle of hope. He's the light in the darkness. When I'm feeling discouraged, he's there. When I'm feeling disappointed, he's there. When I want to close the door on certain rooms in my house, he says, let me come in. I want hope to come into every creek and crevice and every room, and I want it to saturate the places where you've been so discouraged. I was reminded of the movie Shaq this last week. And it was a controversial book, controversial movie, but the point is, is in the story, the shack, this man, he's so angry at God. He's disappointed because something bad happened to his kid, and he blames God for it. He blames himself, and he's so mad. He just can't keep moving forward, and he walks past the room where she used to be in, and he just has so much, like, demons just messing with his head, and he goes on this getaway trip, and he has an encounter with God. And this encounter with God, he needed to see God through a different lens because his earthly father was abusive and his earthly father was mean and his earthly father would use scriptures to pound him in the head and take out a, 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 a screwdriver and just smash his back. And he remembered growing up with a very, very aggressive, abusive father, but he needed to see God in a new light. And when he did, he had this encounter. And he leaves the shack with this renewed, revived hope. It's like the lights came back on inside of him. Some of you, the lights have gone out. And this message is a reminder. God's not finished with you. There's still a light in that man's mind. There's still a light in that woman's heart. She might be cold right now. She may not even want to be at church right now. She might be watching online right now, depressed and suicidal. But I hear God saying, I'm about to breathe fresh fire, fresh hope, fresh life into your soul. So how do I get my hope? How do I get my hope? Number one, you gotta believe in the promises of God. When, when the angel spoke to Mary, you will conceive and give birth to a child. She said, how can this be? I'm a virgin. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And this, this child that you're going to bear will be the son of God. And Mary said, let it be unto me according to your word. In other words, I believe in your word. I'm putting my faith in your promises. Rather than putting your faith in a current situation turning around, why not put your faith in the word of God? Listen, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands firm through generation from generation to generation. My faith is in him. My belief is in him. What's holding you back from the promises of God is not your behavior. It's your belief. Now, some church people go, hold up. No, you got to behave right if you want to get the promises. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Jesus is coming to town. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Except for that's not theologically correct. 
because while I was still a sinner, he demonstrated his love for me. He went to the cross. My behavior did not earn my salvation. My behavior did not earn my favor and my righteousness with God. You better earn it, Paul. No, that's what the Pharisees said. But Jesus came to the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. He came to Zacchaeus and he said, I'm coming to your house. And the religious people go, hold up. Didn't you see he was wearing Nike? Don't, don't, don't you see his brands? Don't you see what family? Don't you see what he's done? Don't you? I'm so glad. When I was little, people told me you got to wear Sunday's best in order to be blessed. But you know what? You can, you can be blessed in jeans and flip-flops and shorts and a t-shirt. I've seen people get blessed that aren't wearing the nicest clothes, as, aren't wearing the brands that are like Jesus brands. I got my Jesus shirt on today though. But you don't have to, it, like what's holding the blessings of God and the promises of God from coming to pass in your life is not your behavior, it's not your dress code, it's not your family, it's not your history, it's not even your present. It is your belief in God. Now. The older brother in the prodigal son story didn't agree with that. And he was like, I've worked all day for you, dad. And my younger brother comes home after squandering your inheritance money with like prostitutes and partying and he's been living a bad life and he has not been behaving well. He is on the naughty list. Don't you give, you give him coal this year for Christmas. And the dad runs to the kid who's been on the naughty list lifts him up, puts a ring on his finger, a robe on his back, and the older brother is shaking his head, this is not right, this is not right. And Jesus says, I came for him. I came for you, but I also came for him. I came for the people who worked all 11 hours out in the field, but also the one who ran to the field in the final 30 minutes. He has an opportunity too. And the wages are for everyone. But I don't get it. The parables that Jesus told never made sense to anyone. And the prodigal son story, the religious people were like, what? The older brother did not enter into the house of hope, not because he didn't behave well, but because he didn't believe in his father's love. He questioned why his father would love a prodigal son, a son who'd messed up, a son who did not deserve to be in the house. And because of his belief, he set himself outside the house. This is why my belief cannot be in my works or in a church or in a pastor. If my belief is in anything but Jesus, I'm gonna be on shaky ground, a roller coaster. But once you put your belief in his nature instead of your nature, you can know that he is with you in the valleys and the mountaintops. It's not a license to do whatever you want. It's a reminder that even when you miss it, he doesn't. Even when you don't have it all together. God blesses some people and I'm like, does God know who he's blessing? Absolutely. He's doing it to shake up the religious people in the city to go, I can use that kid too. And I can minister to that family too. And I'm going to bless that girl with a car. Do you know where she was last night? God goes, I don't care. She's in church today. She came back home today. I'm putting a robe on her. I'm putting a ring on her finger. Come on. The grace of God opens the house of hope for everyone in the whole world. Jesus wants to depopulate hell. Don't you? He says, I, it's the will of the Father that everyone would be saved. This is why we've got to open our home up with hope and say there's hope for you and there's hope for the crack addict and there's hope for this girl and there's hope for that guy and there's hope for this couple. There's hope for that man. Don't limit the hope of God just to people who sin like you. Open the hope of God up for everyone to say, come sinners, come saints, find forgiveness in this place. Number two, receive the promises of God. It's not enough to just believe in the goodness of God and the promises of God, the nature of God. You've got to receive it. Like a seed dropped in the soil of my soul, I receive his promise and I conceive it when I receive it. It begins to produce fruit. Hope begins to grow a tree on the inside of me, right? And it begins to produce fruit. The third thing, the third way to get hope is you got to surrender your plans for his purpose. Mary said, not my will, but your will be done. Let it happen according to your will. And the angel said, nothing is impossible for God. No word from God will ever fail. If you will receive it and surrender to that. And by the way, sometimes we're disappointed because we're holding on to our plans instead of surrendering to his purpose. But if I will surrender and say, Lord, I know I'm wishing for this and I'm desiring this and I want this, but if it's not your will, then I surrender. And God says, now you can have the real hope, the hope that doesn't come from just getting what you want, but receiving what I have for you.
the fourth way that we get hope is we got to surround ourselves with others who are pregnant with hope. The angel told Mary, she said, your cousin Elizabeth is in her old age and she who was told that she could never get pregnant is now about to give birth. And, and the angel said, your cousin Elizabeth is carrying a baby that's going to prepare the way for your baby. And as soon as Mary heard this in verse 39, Mary ran to Elizabeth's house. Hopeful people run, right? They run with the vision. Write the vision down so that you might run with it. So she's running with this vision. She's carrying. And when she gets to Elizabeth's house, the baby inside of Elizabeth leaps for joy. Just two weeks ago, I was in Africa. And while I was there, the pastor met me outside the plane. We didn't even go through customs. He just was like, Pastor Paul, come with me. I was like, is this legal? He's like, don't worry about it. So we go to this. He drives me and Daniel. He's like, Brother Daniel. We go to this back room. President's assistant walks in, and she, like, runs the country. And they're sitting down talking to us. It's an honor to have you. And the pastor says this to me. He goes, you're pregnant. I go, no, I just gained a little bit of weight. Like, I'm, I'm trying. And he goes, no, 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 you're pregnant with vision. I can see it. He goes, tell me the vision. I said, well, we're getting ready to expand the Dream Center and the church. And he goes, I've been watching online. He said, I needed someone else who was pregnant like me to come because there's something about two people that are both carrying something. We stir each other up. And he said, Paul, you haven't preached your best sermons yet. You haven't written your best songs yet. You, you haven't seen your greatest miracles yet. The best days. And I said, your best days. He said, I got a vision for Ghana. And it's for all of West Africa. And then to East Africa. And then North and South Africa. He said, I got a vision. We're going to build an auditorium like yours. He said, I'm carrying inside of me a dream center. I'm, I'm in my third trimester. I can see God. He's about to deliver this. And we could just feel this spontaneous combustion. When you're around people of hope, this is why you got to get to church every week because you're around some pregnant people and you're carrying a vision inside you and here's the fifth point you've got to praise before the promise comes to pass to stir your life with hope I want you to stand your feet you've got to praise as if the miracle has already happened praise as if God has already done it praise precedes the breakthrough praise precedes the promise I've realized that my greatest praise and worship moments are not when everything is going well in my life. It's when things are not going well and I choose to sing even in the tears because those who sow in tears will reap harvest of joy. Those who will sow songs of praise when they're in the valley will reap a harvest of God's promises if they don't give up. I want you to just close your eyes all over this room. I believe I'm praying and I'm preaching and speaking to someone prophetically right now. You are facing some disappointment. You're facing some discouragement. Maybe even facing defeat. And you feel like it's over. Maybe you're here today and you go, Paul, I, I just doubt things could turn around. I just doubt this could come to pass. And I'm not saying that something specifically is going to happen your way, but I am saying that the God of all hope wants to come into your house and wants to remind you that no matter how things turn out, whether it goes your way or not, that he has hope for your house and that it is better to live with hope than to die in despair. Don't turn the lights off in your house just because things didn't go your way. It's time for some of you in the room to change your light bulbs. Things have gotten dim in a certain room. Maybe it's in the kitchen. Maybe it's in the master bedroom. Maybe it's in the living room. And maybe it feels like a dead room. And God says, let's get that living room living again. Let's get the lights back on. There's still a light in the house. There's still candles that are burning. God says, I still have hope for your house. I still have hope for your situation. But the question is, will you receive his hope in your life? Will you allow it to begin to produce in the soil of your soul? With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, man, I need hope. I need a refill of hope. I need that hope, not just for me, but for others. There's people in my life that I've just kind of lost hope for. There's situations that I've just lost hope for. And I want to live with an overflowing hope today. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand all over this room. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, yes, yes. From the front to the back. If you're facing disappointment right now, you just need the encouragement that this message is bringing, but you, you need to take today to surrender to it, to truly believe it. I want you to raise your hand today. And if you raised your hand or you wanted to raise your hand, I want you to leave your seat. We're gonna take five minutes and we're just gonna praise. We're gonna praise and we're gonna worship. 
And as you come down to this altar, come and meet me at the front of this stage. Just step out from your seat. You might want to come with your whole family. Come with your roommates. Come with your spouse. Come with your kids. Come by yourself if you have to. But as you come down here, I want you to come and I want you to sow songs of praise, even in a famine, that you would begin to release songs of praise as you're waiting for a promise to come to pass. That you would put your trust, not in man, not in circumstances, but in God who sits on the throne. And he's the God of the breakthrough. When you're breaking down, he's going to make a way. When it seems like there's no way out, he's still on the throne. There's room at this altar today. Let's praise today. Come on, let's worship Him.
right now for every person to have hope not just for the holidays but for every day hope on Monday and hope on Tuesday hope on Wednesday hope on Thursday hope on Friday and Saturday and Sunday God I thank you Lord that our hope is in you when we're feeling lonely when we're feeling confused or distracted or discouraged or disappointed. Lord, help us to remind our souls to put our hope in the Lord. So put your hope in the Lord. Put your hope in the their cup to the refill station. And God, I just imagine today you're pouring out your word, your promises, your presence. And Lord, we're going to overflow this week with hope for other people. You know, as I was finishing the last service, I got this vision that some of you are going to leave church today and tonight, this week. You're going to have opportunities to give people hope. There's going to be people you see on the side of the street some girl you, you see at Sonic or Brahms or Quick Trip, and you're gonna have an opportunity to speak hope to them, to say, God's not finished with you yet. Come, come to church with me this week. That there are people in our city that are hopeless, and they're looking for a house where the lights are on. You know, they're wandering like Belle was wandering in the woods, just wondering, is there a house? And this house is open, the lights are on. And I believe God's gonna use you to connect people to a house of hope, to connect people to a place where they can find restoration, find peace again, find joy again, just as you have found it, that God's gonna lead you to people this week who need an invitation to hope. They need an invitation to believe that God is not done with them yet. How many of y'all will receive that? That challenge, that hope challenge, to get hope and to give hope. Well, why don't you pray this with me? Just say, Jesus, I surrender to you. Thank you for giving me hope, overflowing hope. You are my God, my Savior. I receive your grace. I receive your love. I repent and I confess you as my Lord and Savior. You are a good God and I receive your hope today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I love you, Victory. God loves you. Share that hope with someone this week.